so sneaking this morning, you know, we probably all know there's people out there that, that don't like crying in public. I mean, actually probably that's almost all of us don't like crying in public, maybe at a funeral. I think that's okay. But I was at an, my aunt's funeral and someone said to me, man, Don, you cry a lot, which certainly does not help the kind of vulnerable moment when you're crying and doesn't help us when we're maybe feeling shame. And, and But, you know, why? why? Why do we feel awkward about maybe crying in public? Certainly, it's very vulnerable. It's, uh, you know, that makes us, the best of us squirmy when we're that vulnerable. But we can feel like maybe we're overreacting. Maybe we're making this other person feel comfortable. Maybe we shouldn't even feel this way. But crying is really normal. In fact, uh, this is Mark Vograpp in, in the book, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Here's what he reminded me of. He said, although you don't remember it, the first sound you and everyone here made when you left the womb was a loud wail. Every human being has the same opening story. Life begins with tears. It's simply part of what it means to be human. And he says, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And so last week, we began by digging down to get to the very foundation of lament, the very bigness, sovereignty of our God. So lament stands in the gap between the pain you're experiencing and the promise that God has made that will come to pass. And lament is right there in the middle. But a promise, it's only as good as the promise keeper who stands behind the promise. So if we don't have a sovereign God, we're going to have tears, we'll have grief, but we will not have lament because lament is grounded in the fact that our God is as big as the Bible has declared he is, that he is as sovereign as we read in the text, that he is the God who has a plan for our suffering, knows where it's going, and hears us in our pain. So to cry is human, to lament is to cry with hope in the God behind why everything is taking place. And so if that's where we began last week, this week, we are going to now, what are the steps of lament? So we're in a series in between our trek through the Gospel of Mark and our upcoming Ezra and Nehemiah study. We're in a summer of joy and now a summer of lament. And we're going to be going through four songs. We're taking some cues from Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Rogop. And uh, there's four ways that he talks, um, four steps, I should say, he talks about for lament. And so they are turn, complain, ask, and trust. That's where we're going to go over the next four weeks. So today, we are taking a deep dive into what does it mean to turn to God, the first step in lament. Now, if we get squirmy crying in public, how do you feel? How do we feel when we're crying before this sovereign, all-powerful God? I mean, have you ever, have you ever felt that feeling of like a shame before, like shame and before God, or maybe you feel um, embarrassed in his presence and you kind of want to hide some things away, maybe how you're really feeling? Because, I mean, if to cry is human, it seems that to be an adult human is to hide your feelings. And so 
we're going to turn to Psalm 77 to see what does it look like to come out of hiding in the presence of our God. That's where we're going to go today, and I'd love to pray before we dive into this text together. Father, thank you that you are a sovereign God, that you are powerful, that you are holy, that you are good, that you are near, that you have a plan for our suffering as a very hope and foundation that would allow us to bring the real us, raw, messy us, who think and feel things that need correction, and it would allow us to bring that into your very presence because of your son. So as we look at your word, would you be with us? Would you come and draw near in the middle of a heavy series, meet us with hope. We love you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so turn with me, opening verses of Psalm 77. Here's what we read. So Psalm 77, we'll, we'll start with the first four verses. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Welcome to Psalm 77. And uh, when you hear that, I, I think it just takes very little imagination to enter into this world of a sufferer. Deep, hard, raw suffering. What do you hear when you read those first lines? I mean, look, look how it even ends. Listen to the phrase, I'm so troubled, I can't even speak. So whatever's going on in this psalmist's life, it's so deep. They, they don't even have words. They don't have words to express it. Now, how do we reconcile that line, I'm so troubled, I can't speak with the opening line of the psalm, I cry aloud to the Lord. And which one is it? I mean, can you not speak or are you crying aloud? And I think you get a lot of help right there in the middle of our opening passage. When I remember God, I moan. So, I mean, for this sufferer, like the prayers that he begins as he turns to God, they are not prayers that begin with words that make sense or perhaps not even words at all. They are just cries and deep groaning. It's not perfect articulation of how they feel. It's deep pain, real, raw moaning and groaning before the Lord. But I want you to see what that means is that even when this psalmist is so deep in their suffering, they don't have words to say they're still going to God. And that's where we're beginning in our talk about lament. It's turning to God. Turning to God when you don't have nice, clean, polished, put together, this is what I feel, God, but just turning. And what it means is that if we're going to say that lament begins by turning to God, what it means is that lament begins not with a focus on the words that you're going to say, but on the person that you're saying and going to. That's where it begins. It begins by a willingness to not have the perfect words, to not have it all put together, but a willingness to go, to turn to God in prayer. That's where limit begins. So, I mean, what are the alternatives to pain and suffering that hits your life? I mean, I, you, there's self-reliance. You could try to handle it on your own. But what happens when that runs out? I guess you could turn to others. You could turn to some kind of distraction. You could not do anything. 
And that are alternatives to the messy, wordless, crying grief that is just coming to God in, in these kind of deep groans. And it might feel strange to do that. It might feel risky and it might feel costly, but certainly this psalm warns us against this danger, a danger far worse than being vulnerable and awkward and strange with just groans before our heavenly God. Silence, silence kills the soul. Here's how Mark Vograt puts it. He says it this way. He says, giving God the silent treatment, it's the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care, that he doesn't hear and nothing is ever going to change. And people who stop praying, they give up. So lament, lament stands in the gap between pain and, and promise that has not yet been fulfilled. And here's, here's the thing about it. In the moment when pain and suffering hits, in a moment of lament, fresh pain, we don't know how it's all going to work out together for good. We don't often see in that moment how God is going to fulfill his promises. In those moments, in fact, we feel like God's comfort's elusive. We're sitting there from our vantage point. There's like no way that this works out for good. Which means that if lament begins by turning to God in prayer, that lament and turning to God in prayer is an act of faith. Because you can't see it. You don't know how it's all working out. And so you're taking pain and suffering that is real and deep. And you're bringing it to a God who you know, God, you are working this together for good, but I can't see it. This pain's going somewhere. You will fulfill your promises, and I have no idea how it's going to happen. And the way you do that is faith. Promise. Trust in the promise keeper. Trust that she's going to work it all for good. But that means that our laments are going to begin messy. And so what do you do with all the mess and all the confusion well, you bring it to God. So I just want you to see where this psalm goes. Look at where he goes next. This is where he says, Psalm 77, we'll pick up in verse five. Here's what he says. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. So the psalmist is like digging pat back, 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 back through all the years of his life. And he's searching and he's looking. And what's his posture? What does he find? What does he bring to God? Well, here it is. It's verse 7 through 9. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? I mean, do you, like you, I'm sure you see the agony. And I think you can see and feel the psalmist does not know how this is all going to work together for good. You can hear it. Like he, I mean, it's five questions in a row, all raw, all real, all hard. God, will you spurn me forever? Have you forgotten me? Is your anger so fierce that you have shut up your compassion in exchange for your anger? That's what the psalmist is feeling. Now, I don't think that's what the psalmist believes deep down. When he digs deeper, 
which I think you're going to see as we go through the psalm. But I do think that is what he feels, which means that in this psalm and in lament, you are going to have things you think and you're going to have things that you feel that aren't true, but you think and feel them and they're raw and they're honest. Now, I was talking to him, Cain, recently about, about this and about lament. And in fact, what we were doing is we were talking about psalms of lament and uh, imprecatory psalms. These psalms that are they're really full of raw, hard language. And what can happen is, especially with psalms that are so stark and so shocking, we can often ask, like, can we really, can we pray those psalms? Is that okay? I mean, just look back, look back at the text. I mean, is it okay? Can we really say to God, it seems that your steadfast love has ceased. Your promises have come to an end. And so as Tim and I were talking, he said, you know, we so often ask that question, can we pray these psalms? And I think that's the wrong question. Because at the end of the day, the right question is, do you ever have those questions? Do you ever feel these kinds of feelings? Because if you do, you have to pray them. That's what it means to turn to God in lament. That's what I mean when you say, what does it mean to turn to God in lament? It means you're going to be coming with whatever emotions you have, whatever words, whether you can form them or not, whatever feelings, whether they feel good and right, you come with them. Five questions. Look at it. Listen to them. Again, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Because the question when we say, can we pray those kinds of words? It leads us to feel like, is it okay to feel these things? But that's not the issue. The question is, what do you do with the questions that feel out of bounds? Like, what do you do with feelings when the, you, you feel them and you're like, I, I know this isn't right, but what do you do with them? That's the question. And so here, I think we meet silences much sneakier and that therefore I think much more deadly brother suppression. Silence kills the soul but suppression is just silence by another name. Suppression, when we suppress how we really feel, because we feel like we shouldn't feel this way, it leads us to be silent before our God, to not bring how we're feeling. But lament is honest, raw, real you. So here's how Tim Kaine puts it. This is his definition of lament. Lament is bringing the real you into the presence of the real God. It's bringing the real you into the presence of the real God. Now, I mean, in a world with polished Instagram feeds and curated TikToks and perfect Pinterests, the, the, the feeling to feel shame over who you really are, like when you dig down and see the mess, it feels so raw and so hard and you can feel such deep shame because you look around and you feel like well no one else feels this way 
And so what do we do? We put on makeup before other people, before our friends, before our family. And then we do the same thing before our God. And we, we put on this like face and, and pretend that everything is okay. So deep down, what we feel is, God, I feel like you're distant, but here's what we do. We come and we try to put on this makeup and we, we, say, we, we pretend, no, God, I, I feel like you're near. Because that's what we think we should feel. That's what we think is the right way to feel. And so we sugarcoat it and we don't bring the raw, real us. And here's the tricky part. We actually think the makeup looks really good. Like as if we're fooling God. And we're coming and pretending like we think he's near. And we and we dig, dig deep. We don't feel that. But we feel shame in bringing that real us into the presence of this real God. And have you truly brought into the presence of God the real you? All the messy, all the questions, all the confusion. And it will feel shameful and awkward, but have you brought that into the presence of the real God? Now, don't, I don't want you to hear me saying, you know, it's okay just to think and feel and do whatever you want and it doesn't matter and you can just go uh, about your merry way. That's not what I think this is saying, but I do think it's saying you begin there. I do think you begin there. It doesn't mean you end there. But you you got to begin there. And if you, if you try to circumvent it, if you try to, begin where you want to end, which is, God, I feel like you're distant and I know that you're not. And if you try to end there, but you really, you've got to start where you're at. And so if lament begins, truly begins, lament is turning to God. What we see is that lament begins by us turning to God, but then by turning to God, lament turns us around and corrects us, helps us, meets us. So, look at where uh, the psalmist goes next. Here's what he says. We'll pick up at verse 10. He says, he said, I'll appeal. Then I said to this, I'll, I'll appeal to this. This is in response to the, the raw emotions. In response to all these questions. Here's what he says. He says to his soul, he prays to his God. To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? Now this, this is what I think is at the bottom of the psalmist's heart. I don't think deep down in his soul he believes that God's steadfast love has ceased. I do think he feels that God is distant. I do believe that he feels like he can't see God's steadfast love. But why do I think that this This is what I think he truly believes. Well, it's because we've gone from these rapid fire questions to definitive, declarative statements about our God. Listen, look what he says. He says, you, your way, oh God is holy. What God is like our God? Unwavering, sure, rock solid truth that he says. Now, that then does yet once again confirm that our psalmist truly feels things that aren't what he believes deep down. So here's how Mark Vrograt puts it when he talks about lament. He says, lament recognizes that pain and suffering, pain and suffering often create difficult emotions that are not based upon truth, but feel true. 
nonetheless. So here's how Tim Kaine put it. Our feelings are not always true, but they are real. So I began by talking about my aunt's funeral. I will tell you a little bit more of the story. This was about seven years ago. My aunt was, she was about to be a grandma. She was struggling with depression. And we don't have conclusive evidence, but it seems really likely that she took her own life. So I go to the funeral and someone says, Don, you, you cry a lot and you wanna know why? Because that's the real me. I'm lost an aunt. My grandma lost a daughter. My cousins, they lost a mom. These grandchildren will never meet their grandma. And so those are the real raw emotions, those tears. And what comes flooding in is, God, have you forgotten us? Like, do you not care for my family? Those are the questions that come into mind. And those emotions are real. Even though those statements aren't true, God hadn't forgotten me. He had not forgotten my family or abandoned them. And so feelings are not always true, but they are real. And those real emotions, that's what it means to turn to God in prayer. You bring us real, the raw emotions. Yeah, you don't stay there, but you begin there. And you don't stay there because prayer turns us around. Lament, as I read this week, is prayer in pain that leads us to trust. Prayer in pain. And you bring the pain and it leads you to trust. So yeah, I'm not saying when you bring the real you before the real God. I'm not saying that you just stay there. It's totally fine just to go about however you think and feel. But I am saying start there. And then let God change you. But you can't suppress, pretend those things are not there. Certainly the psalm has those words, your God, your way, O God, is holy, what God is like our God. But I want you to see where he continues to go, what he says. He says, you are the God, this is verse 14, who works wonders. You made known your might among the peoples. So this psalm, it, it ends by the sufferer recounting God's faithfulness to people, to his people. His working of wonders. This is what he does. He actually goes back and recounts the Exodus. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters and your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That's where the psalm ends. So the psalmist begins with grief. He begins with a real hymn. And he ends with prayer, reminding his soul of God's goodness, reminding his soul of the gospel, of God's rescue of his people. So here's how I think it works. Pain, suffering comes into your life. And you bring the real you to all its questions and all its complaints. And that's where we're going to go next week. We're going to take a deep dive into that. But you bring it. You don't bring a makeup version of you. You don't bring a curated version of you. You bring the raw, not sugar-coated, real you into the presence 
of the sovereign, all-powerful, real God. You don't try to hide. You don't try to suppress it. You just bring it and you pour it out. Sometimes it'll come out in words. Sometimes it'll come out in groaning. But you bring the real you into the presence of the real God. So you turn to God. You bring your complaints. And you ask, God, would you meet me? So we're going in three weeks. God, hear this and meet me. And then finally, you turn and trust in a God who can meet you in your pain and in your suffering. So you don't pretend when you come and you turn. Now, one of the reasons that we uh, started a series on lament this summer is I was reading someone comment on this, this kind of popular movement of people leaving Christianity and posting online their videos of grievances and their feelings. And one of their responses in seeing all of these videos was to say, I wonder if the reason this deconstruction movement is so popular is because the church lacks a good theology of lament. And they said it because one of the things that these I'm leaving the faith raw you videos have going for them is that they're real and they're honest and they're vulnerable and they're so just I mean, they're just so in your face, this is who I am. And to a world that is so curated, everything you see is so polished and so put together that when that comes out, it feels, so, there's such a draw because you can feel in your heart, like there's something there. There's something to be had about being real and that true. And, and you hear them and you're thinking, I feel those things. But here's what I would say, that video movement of here's why I'm leaving the faith, it gets right the raw, real, this is what I feel, and it totally misses the remedy. It gets right. You've got to bring out the real you. Don't sugarcoat it, but you will. I just want you to hear this in light of a deconstruction movement of these viral videos. What you will find if you were to bring the real you, but then abandon the real God, you will not find what you're looking for. You will find raw, real emotions and no hope. Because what lament does is it does bring that real you into the presence of the real God. And allow him to transform. Allow him to meet you in the middle of it. What the, I mean when you say bring the real you into the presence of the real God is that our God is able to handle our messiness. He's able to handle the questions, the, the aching, the, the pain, the feelings that are not true but are real, and he's able to handle them. Because the good news of the cross is that because of the cross of Christ, if you are in Christ, what it means is that the messy, real you, just like on the day when you came to trust in Jesus and it didn't take your works and the good things you were bringing, just like on that day, the cross stands no more true for you than it did that day, than it does now, that allows you to come with the real you and say, that's messy. There's wrong things there and it is canceled in the blood of Christ. The real you can come into the presence of the real God because of the work done on the cross. But the real you comes into the presence of the real God, not saying, I'm just going to stay here, but say, God, I want you to transform me. Because the, the story of our salvation doesn't end at the cross. It ends with a resurrection and a promise of a return. It ends not with the, the shame of the cross, but the power of the resurrection, the, the, 
declaration that our God has power over death. So he certainly has power over how you feel about death or suffering or pain. That's what the cross means. And when you think about if lament is bringing the real you into the presence of the real God, if lament begins by turning to God, I want you to look no further. That's a perfect example than our Savior. Because on the night that he was to die, the Garden of Gethsemane, I want you to see what he said. Here's where it begins. This is Mark chapter 14, verse 32, 33. And he said, that's Jesus to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. No makeup. There's no sugarcoating. This is, this is raw. Listen to what he says. Here's verse 34. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Not, you know what? I'm happy. My soul feels really good. I'm chill. This is all okay. That's not what it says. My soul is so deep in sorrow. It is so hurting that I feel like I could die right now from my sorrow. That's what he's saying. That's real. That's the real Christ, the real you before the presence of the real God, but he doesn't stay there. Not where he stays. Look at where he goes. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed, if it possible, the hour might pass from me. That's real. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. But he doesn't stay there. Yet not when I will. But when you will. Jesus brought the real him into the presence of the real God. But he didn't stay there. He makes a turn. He brings real, raw emotions, not sugar-coated, brings them in the presence of God, but he turns and he turns and he says, God, not what I want, not what I will, but what you will. Do what you want to do. And so in Christ, we see not only one who is a perfect example of lament, who brought the real him into the presence of the real God, who brought his pain, who didn't sugarcoat it, who brought feelings into God's presence, but didn't stay there, but hoped, hoped in God. We don't almost see that, but we see. Now, in, in our Savior, someone who we know, we don't know much about what's happening in Psalm 77, but we do know our Savior. And what we know, what we know about our God, about Christ, is that his laments that were real, and raw were laments that he suffered not for his sake. When we hear the cries of pain of our Savior, when we hear his pain-filled cries that lead to drops of blood, when we see on the cross that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we see is we see our Savior who was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What we see in the sufferings and the laments of our Savior are cries of deep pain that he suffered for our sake. So that we could be those who could lament. So that we could be those who would bring the real raw us into the presence of the real God and not be turned away. And what he did is he took on the punishment that we deserve because we deserve the wrath of God. And you can come 
and you can come and bring yourself into the presence of the real God and receive from him, not a God who would turn you away in your suffering and pain, but a God who would say, because of my son, you are in my family. And so what we get to do this morning as a church, we get to turn and we get to remember together at the Lord's table, our Savior suffering on our behalf. So we're going to take communion together. And what we're going to remember is we're going to remember our God who suffered for our sake. His body was broken. So I'm going to invite the worship team up here. And as I do, I want to just set our time at the table up just a little. What I want to do is I want to invite any of you this morning who are trusting in Jesus. You don't need to be a member of our church to come to this table, but you do need to be putting your trust in that Savior. You do need to be saying, that cross is the very hope that I have. And if, if Jesus is your Savior, you're invited to come to this table. And what we're going to have is we're going to have a time where the, the band will, will sing a new song that's new to us. And we will have a time of reflection where you can just come before our Savior and bring your laments, bring the real you in light of this grace. Now, if, if you are not trusting in Jesus, I would ask, instead of coming to these elements, would you come to Jesus himself this morning? I want to invite you to consider this one who suffered. I want to invite you to consider why would he suffer? And I want to invite you to consider that he would suffer, that sinners like you would have hope in our Savior. Now, uh, the communion servers will come and they will pass and I would just ask, would you hold on to the elements and we'll take them together. So let me pray and we'll take these. Father, thank you for your son the very hope for sufferers like us, the very hope for those of us who have raw, real questions, the very hope we have to bring the real us into the presence of you, our real God, and not be turned away. To be wrong and have feelings that are real but not true and not to be turned away. And so we come now to remember the same of our sin, but the good news of the grace bought by your son. Come now and meet us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.